Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third of Bloomberg's podcasts to accompany our Belt and Road Initiative television series. I'm David Tweed, and with me in the studio is Rosalind Chin, who produced the episode in Africa, in particular in uh, Kenya. You sort of use Kenya as your example for East Africa, is that right? Why did you choose Kenya? Correct. Uh, well, Kenya has a shining example of the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm. China has invested. Uh, China has invested uh, money um, in building the single gauge, the standard gauge railway. So this railway goes from Mombasa, which is why we started our journey there, mm. uh, to Nairobi, and it's meant to open up the passage of goods and people because there's a cargo line and there's a passenger line. Mm. going between the two. Now, there has been a rail line there before, but that was built many, many decades ago. Mm. Um, and it's in not in not, in not in a very good shape. There is also a road that goes between the two cities as well. But How far are we talking? The rail itself is uh, under just under 500 kilometers. Mm. So and, and what sort of cost? How much money is involved? Uh, it cost $3.8 billion to build mm. that particular line. Um, and most of it <clears> was <throat> financed by a loan from Exim Bank, the Chinese uh, China's import Export-import bank, rather. Right. Ninety um, percent was funded by a loan. And what does it do? I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it connects obviously the capital Nairobi with Mombasa, the port, Nairobi being inland. So I mean, you can see obviously those benefits. Is Nairobi uh, 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 an industrial base or, a, or an export? You know, an export base. What's what's? How does it? How does it benefit? Well, there is a fair bit of manufacturing around uh, Nairobi. Now, in Kenya, for example, there are. The biggest cities, which are Nairobi and Mombasa, mm. there isn't a lot of manufacturing necessarily outside of that. Now, mm. what they're hoping, well, with this line is to make the the passage of goods faster. So between the port, between Nairobi, going in and out. A lot of stuff is actually coming in from the port. Um, but also eventually to increase those lines going beyond Nairobi, further up uh, towards the border of Uganda. And that would also open up manufacturing possibilities elsewhere in towns which are further away, for example, Navasha, uh, which is outside of, um, it's on the line between Nairobi and the border of Uganda. Uh, um, you could set up manufacturing plants there. It'd be a lot easier, of course, then to get your goods in and out. So that should hopefully open up both manufacturing and trade in Kenya. And so is the idea to expand this line into Uganda and bordering countries? Well, there has been a grand plan for many years now um, among African nations, especially uh, East African nations, to build rail networks that will all join up. And again, with the same idea that they're going to have better connectivity, which means better trade, both uh, people and, and cargo being able to move around and therefore really help these economies to grow. But due to many reasons, including, uh, for example, governments changing you know, changing their minds, not getting along with each other. Politics. Um, <laughs> politics. And also um, money, so a lack of funding in yeah. some places. This hasn't really happened. And they are trying again still to try and make some of these uh, lines be built and therefore get this connectivity that they have wanted for such a long time. Now, look, one of the businesses, businessmen who was uh, interviewed spoke a bit about execution or the difficulty of ex executing and, 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 and bottlenecks. Now, what was the point that he was making and how... Does the BRI initiative, you know, how would it overcome those issues? So there were, in one part, they were talking about the teething problems they've been having with this particular line. So previously, businesses would put their goods on to a train, which is very slow, or onto trucks going between Mombasa and Nairobi. Uh, and that would take maybe 8, 10, 12 hours to mm. get there because you know, the roads themselves aren't that good either. Now, what they've done is the government has essentially 
pushed businesses, forced them to use the new rail line, the SGR. It's offered them subsidies to do so because what's happening is you still need trucks at either end to get the goods off the train and to where it's going to be. And so these are some issues which eventually should be ironed out. So you need the infrastructure around the exactly, around the terminals. Exactly. But I, I think these are seen as fairly short-term issues because yeah. eventually they will be sorted out. But, of course, it's hurting businesses right now. Now, you mentioned um, Exim Bank, which is, a, which is the bank that is funding most of this project. It seems to me, listening to, once again to some of the people speaking uh, on the uh, on the episode, that there's an argument, there's a sort of a debate about whether these projects are going to be economically viable. With One guy was saying that he really can't see how it's ever going to be economically viable. And then you spoke to another uh, businessman, I think, who was saying, well, you know, once these projects are in place, they're going to actually spur economic development and that will in turn pay for itself. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you're hearing or what you heard when you were in Kenya uh, about the viability of these projects? Is it is it still a debate or is it falling in one way or another? It's still somewhat of a debate, but I do think that um, many people do think that this is a very expensive piece of infrastructure. Uh. So, And also because this is just the first part of the line, there mm. will be parts beyond this, as I mentioned, which are already in the process of being built that the, the government has borrowed for as well to build. So the next part of the line, there is a loan um, from Exim Bank as well for 85% of that cost of that the next part of the line. How much is that? I can't remember now. Right. Okay. Um, it's in the billions. Though, it talking. is in the yeah. billions, yes. Yeah. Uh, over a billion, definitely. Mm, and then the, mm. the next part of the line after that is going to be in another 3.8 billion. And what's actually happened is because there's been more pressure on the government because of concerns about the ability to pay back these loans, there's one arm of the uh, of the railway that, again, leads towards um, the Ugandan border, which the Kenyan government had actually agreed would be another loan. But they've gone back to China now and said, actually, can half of that actually be uh, come as a grant, not a loan? Mm. And they've tried to renegotiate. Mm. Now, it hasn't been decided yet whether China will let that happen, but things are beginning to change. As um, the Belt and Road Initiative rolls out, governments across the world, not just in Africa, are becoming a little bit more aware about the financing issues, about indebtedness, mm. um, sort of these concerns which have been raised by various policymakers and economists, and then revisiting exactly what the terms of the deal might be. Now, of course, for some of it, it's too late because the loans have already been made. But for things which haven't happened yet, there is still a chance to reprocess. Like we've seen very publicly, obviously, in Malaysia. Exactly, yeah. Um, one other uh, point that was made uh, was was you, you interviewed um, a woman who's the chief executive yes, of the Crop the Life, crop life Kenya, Kenya. Yeah. that's mm -hmm. right. And, and, and she was making the... The point that she's worried that African leaders are seeing the whole African continent go to China. But at the same time, she says that there's a lot to learn from China. Now, what was she talking about there? I think she was uh, referring to business, business practices, um, in terms of efficiency, execution. You know, the Chinese have come in and many business leaders have said, well, actually, China gets things done. They get things done quickly. They get things done uh, pretty much, you know, as they were supposed to. So that's one thing that actually they can look at. Oh, and innovation was something else that came up I thought was interesting. Yes, learning, learning new things, taking on board new ideas as well. Um, and ways to do things, simple things like manufacturing. Exactly. Um, but of course, you know, when you let 
another a competitor, a potential competitor, and there, there are risks as well. Um, you know, she talked about letting the African leadership, letting the continent go to China. I think in this she was referring to basically not having strict enough checks and balances against um, a, for example, the rail line itself, the, the financing for that, mm. but also in her particular industry, how uh, ways that they that the government could protect her industry better. So she, you know, is in agrochemicals and she is in um, agriculture. Mm. It's a huge part of the Kenyan economy. Mm. And I, th I think she is voicing her opinion that there should be more done by the government to protect them in the face of more imports coming in right. from outside. Because, of course, with a, you know, with better links, trade links, trades coming in as well as out. So yeah. there is that threat. But one of the, uh, one of the points, another one of the people you spoke to, I think it was a, it was a man who was in charge of a company that made edible oils. Mm. And he was talking about how uh, there's an opportunity for Africa to become a, a much more important food exporter. Yes. Uh, given the fact that not much of African food makes it to China these days. And it set me wondering about whether there are already in place a sort of China food access arrangements or trade deals between the African nations and China. Are there... FTAs in place. Yeah. I think this is something that uh, the Afghan nations really want to try and hammer out. Um, I'm unclear as to whether there are specific agreements in place, mm. but this is something that uh, some of them would like to take advantage of if it should happen. But again, I think with many industries, they do feel that the governments are not giving them enough support to export items out to other countries, China included. Uh, and they would like more um, support from the government to help them to do this. So, you know, perhaps as you say, special trade agreements or um, agreements helping them to roll out uh, products into new markets. I think there are a lot of manufacturers in Africa who are looking for new markets, yeah. not just within the continent itself, but outside. And they're searching for ways to do that. And I think they'd like a bit more help yeah. to try and do that, especially in the face of seeing potential competition coming in. Yeah. Uh, another part of the program uh, looks at the African leaders conference that took place in Beijing earlier this year, mm. where Xi Jinping was talking about how China may invest, but it won't interfere in African politics or in the internal workings of African governments. How much do you think that that is a, a selling point for African leaders when they're looking at countries uh, which are offering them up loans? Because it's not just Africa, is it? That's right. There's been a growing sensitivity um, to what some see as China's reach, its soft power as well, into other countries. China's always maintained that it sees the Belt and Road as a way of spurring economic development. It does not see it as a, a means for political gain. But of course, there are concerns because, you know, when you have one country with a lot of power, because it has a lot of money and often it's the biggest trading partner as well, then some will see concerns there, given the amount of power that, that China has. Um, China has become aware of these sensitivities. It's trying to reel back um, the idea, perhaps, that it has so much reach or power into mm -hmm. other countries. Um, and it has repeatedly said, you know, we are, we're we're not into interfering in other nations. And it, this is a line that I think it's had for a very long time, regardless of whether it's about the Belt and Road Initiative, about anything else. But whether others believe that or not, 
is another thing. Well, when you were there, did you have much sense that, you know, China was there on the ground, that, that there were Chinese people who were controlling things? Not on a superficial level, I think. Um, when you went to the train, mm. most of the people, in fact, all, almost all of the people that you saw, that you encountered in terms you of took the, the passenger stuff, train, right? Yes, you, that's right. Yeah. You got onto the SGR that, from Mombasa back to Nairobi. Yeah. They were all Kenyans. But at the higher level, the, the company that runs, that actually operates the SGR, they got a 10-year um, uh, deal to run it, is, is the Chinese company that built it, which is the China Rail and Bridge Corporation, which is a subsidiary of CCCC, which is one of the biggest state-owned infrastructure builders in China, or in the world, possibly. Mm. And then at the higher levels, it is the Chinese, but you may not see them on an everyday level. Right, right. Because, I mean, you know, years ago when uh, China first went into Africa, you heard a lot of stories about China actually bringing in their own workers to build the projects. Any evidence of that going on? I no? didn't see any with no. my own eyes, but no. there's lots of controversy about that. So right. there's lots of stuff uh, written about uh, the controversies about you know, China is not, uh, or these companies rather, are not hiring enough locals. Mm. They're hiring a lot of uh, Chinese workers who stay there. The Chinese workers don't live in the same places as the local workers do. They're treated differently. I didn't see any evidence of that myself. But then it wasn't something I was specifically digging out. And also you were looking at a completed project. Yes. I was. Uh, there were still apparently workers there, but I was looking at something where people had already uh, mostly finished building it, or mm. well, at least the part that we were at, they'd already finished building it. Mm. Now, the the company will say that actually, you know, we, we employ a lot of locals. So it was until, unless you know the actual numbers or you can actually compare what they're talking about, it's difficult to know really where the truth lies. Which brings me to the transparency issues. Is there an issue about transparency with how these loans are set up, with how these companies are organised? Uh, can your ordinary Kenyan actually find out exactly what the terms are uh, that have been agreed with China on a lot of these projects? Well, I think this is one of the issues that uh, many critics have, is that a lot of these deals, these loans, are not as transparent as they should be. Now, for example, there was a case, not in Kenya, but in Pakistan, where Pakistan said, you know, we need to borrow some money, we might turn to institutions like the World Bank, for example, for that money. And China said, well, if you do that, then we they threatened to reveal the terms of its you know, loans to Pakistan. Now, this is something... Which could, which could have been politically embarrassing for the, well, the previous government, I suppose. Yes. So mm. this is something where there has been a call for a lot more transparency over the terms of these loans, exactly what they involve. Um, and, of course, there is also a lot of discussion and talk about how clean the deals actually are, you know, mm. because if you don't really know what the deals are, what's been um, agreed, then... Everything under that is, is very murky. I suppose the bottom line about all of this, and, and in particular the, the, the Belt and Road Initiative and how it's being laid out in, uh, in Africa, uh, marks a complete sea change in the development model that we saw before in Africa, which was more of an aid-based development model. How, how, how is, it, is, it, is it true that there is a sea change that's happened? Have we moved from one model to another? I think... Probably uh, things like Belt and Road are getting a lot more uh, coverage. So mm. it does seem like, oh, we're moving from one mode to another. I think that there are still many um, other places and institutions 
helping uh, with loans and offering money to um, African nations to build infrastructure projects and other things. Um, there are projects, for example, Tanzania is building its own rail line, and that's with a Turkish company. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, from from China. Each nation can make their own decisions on what and how they're going to build. But um, there is probably an increasing move away from aid. But, you know, when it comes down to it, as one of the businessmen said, Vimal Shah, he, uh, the chairman of Bitco, he said, in the past it was aid. Now many of the loans can, there are the option of having loans, which don't seem to have as many ties attached to it, which seems more attractive. But in the end, what they need is investment. They just need the money. They need the money to build. Because I can tell you now, some of that infrastructure really needs upgrading. The yeah. roads <clears throat> fully jammed all the time yeah. because the roads need a lot of you We know, can investment. certainly see that with some of the fantastic pictures that we were looking at. Uh, you've taken some you know, very interesting footage uh, uh, of the old infrastructure, of the new infrastructure, and quite a lot of camels. <laughs> a few camels in the market. And yes. it looked hot. Right? <laughs> How hot was it there when you were filming? Actually, surprisingly, Mombasa was uh, quite warm. It was warm and sunny. But Nairobi, because it's quite high up, actually quite chilly. Oh, and you'll see in some of the pictures, people are wearing jackets and coats. Oh, yes. Uh, because it's not as warm. In fact, uh, when we first got there, Rish and I likened it to London in the autumn. Not quite like sweltering Hong Kong. No, but Mombasa certainly very warm and very sunny. Blue Ros skies. Thank you very much indeed uh, for, for talking to me. Next uh, next time we're going to be talking about the fourth instalment of the series, which looks at what the BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, is doing in Europe and how the Europeans are responding. So I hope you'll come back and listen to that as well. I'm David Tweed. Thank you. Thank you.